the world has changed and continues to change at a rate that we haven't experienced before. And I think this is part of the reason why 20th century leaders are so unsure, uncertain, anxious, scared. My name is Hannah Herbs, and you are listening to another episode of Reaching Your Goals. It's already the 10th episode, so now we are in the double-digit business. How cool is that? Anyway, so Reaching Your Goals is a career-focused podcast where I sit down with inspiring individuals and we talk about anything and everything that's career and leadership related to give you the insights to get one step closer to living a fulfilled professional life. My mission is simple, to inspire you to reach your goals, lead with kindness, and have some fun along the way. For the 10th episode, we will talk about senior leaders that struggle and find themselves stuck in the 20th century. What does it actually take to transition into a 21st century leader, and why is that the way to go? So this conversation is relevant for leaders that find themselves stuck and those working with them. And I have the perfect guest for this, Wayne Brown. He's a fellow coach and he has more than 45 years corporate experience working in varying roles from engineering to leadership. And he's also a serial entrepreneur. He's now leveraging his experience to support leaders as they develop, grow and learn to transition into 21st century leaders. In November 22, Wayne has been recognized as the executive coach of the year by CEO Today magazine. Wayne is originally from Australia, has worked on four continents and in nearly 90 cities. He is now based in Shanghai in China, where he lives with his wife and daughter. With that, let's get started. Wayne, it's such a pleasure to have you here today. How are you doing? Thanks, Hannah. Great to be with you and uh, excited for our conversation. I'm doing great. Looking forward to it. Nice. And to get to know you better, I like to start my interviews with rapid fire questions. Short questions, short answers. Are you ready? You've lived all over the world. What is still typical Australian about you? Wow. Uh, still typical Australian. My accent a little bit, but more so my the outdoors. Assume you have an unexpected day off tomorrow. No work obligations, no personal obligations. What would you do? <laughs> That's really testing. I can't remember the last time that happened. But, okay, so if that was to happen, then definitely with wife and daughter, uh, just enjoying the company. Nice. Are you a morning person? I am. I normally get up at 5 a.m., Although wow. as, I, as I get older, I'm finding that a little bit more difficult. I'm not sure if that's winter or but uh, normally 5 a.m. And uh, lately, not as early to bed as I would like. 10 p.m. I would be in bed. But lately, it's, it's crept out to 11, 11.30. So, so it's short mm -hmm. sleep time now. Yeah, I just want to say that sounds like six to seven hours of sleep on a good day. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> What word is coming to mind when you think of multitasking? I'm hopeless at multitasking. So I would say hopeless. <laughs> My intro, I mentioned that you're an entrepreneur. What is the most fun thing about being an entrepreneur? 
Well, the thing that I, I love the most about it is that by nature, I'm ideas person. So I love creativity. I love coming up with new ideas, being imaginative. What is the most important quality in a leader? Wow, you want one. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure there is one, but I, I would say that a leader really needs to inspire people. So if I had to pick one, that would be the one I would choose. Which app besides emailing and text messaging do you use the most on your phone? <laughs> Can you see the color of my hair? So... I'm very silver, so that means I'm quite old. Uh, technology <laughs> and myself are not the greatest of friends. However, I do use some apps. I, I, I use one app in particular called Whoop, W-O-O-P. I use it for goal-setting purposes. And who is one of your role models? I have a number, but I've, I've been a mentoree. So Tony Robbins, Anthony Robbins has been one of my mentors for 35 odd years now. So I, I would say he's, he's very much up there. Do you do any sports or have a hobby? Uh, in my earlier years, I, I used to play a lot of sport. So being Australian, that's almost second nature for Australians to, to be outdoor people, generalizing, of course. So my main sports during winter, rugby league, during summer, cricket. They were the two main sports. My parents were both very good tennis players. So if you wanted me to choose a third sport, of course, I grew up with a racket in my hand from a very young age. And fourth sport was swimming. So life-saving was something I did at a, at a younger age as well. you still do any of those sports today? Only in my head. <laughs> not, not physically anymore. In terms of hobbies, one of the things I'm passionate about is building. And mm -hmm. I haven't had a chance where I am at the moment, based in Shanghai. But again, prior to coming here, I used to do a lot of renovations and building new pro properties. And that, together with trading, trading on the an exchange market at a company mm -hmm. early in my career called TRE, which stood for Trading and Real Estate, and Dairy Holdings. So they were the wow. two things that that I used to be extremely passionate about and I treated them as a hobby, although they were a business. Very versatile. I like it. <laughs> so how would your clients describe you in one word? I'm going to choose a good word. <laughs> rather, rather <laughs> Up to it. you. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say uh, curious. Mm -hmm. What do you need to be at your best? That's a great question. So... Over the years, I've asked myself this question many times. So I need to be in a situation where I feel fulfilled. And to feel fulfilled, I need to be contributing. Mm -hmm. So if you were to ask me what is my number one value, as an example, I would say it's contribution. So I really need to have the opportunity to work with other people And that's why I coach and what I do, uh, because I get such enjoyment and satisfaction by watching other people develop and grow and being able to support them in, on that journey. So, yeah, that's, that's what I need, whether that's in personal life or whether that's professionally.
question for the rapid fire. What's the best advice you've been offered in your personal or professional life? Gosh, uh, my father, my father asked a couple of decades back, but when I was young, he said to me, son, there's no value in you getting older if you don't get wiser. Stuck mm. with me. And that, that really shaped a lot of the activities and the adventures that I undertook throughout my career. Yeah, so that, that would be probably one that I could recall fairly easily. That, let's jump in. What are the key milestones that led you to where you are today? Mm, key milestones. So one of the key milestones was in sport. That gave me a early experience into leadership. I didn't know that at the time, but I had a certain degree of talent in the sports that I mentioned earlier, and that led to me being captain of the team quite regularly, whether it was in cricket, whether it was in rugby league, swimming even, and uh, that really set me up At the time, I didn't know it was setting me up to be a leader, but the experience that it gave me in working with other people was, was really foundational. That was something that I now look back on and really feel blessed that I had that opportunity. So definitely in sport, that was an area. When I was, uh, I started my career using my hands. I didn't take the normal route of going through university first and getting my degree and then moving into a leadership role. I started as an apprentice and in Australia we have apprenticeships or we used to and so I was an apprentice. I worked on tools in the field up until about the age of 27 and for whatever reason, whether it was a location, whether it was the events that happened in my personal life at the time, I decided that I wanted to transition from working with my hands into working in a management capacity. And the opportunity presented itself remarkably. And at, around about that time, I also started to go back to university. So that was a very pivotal moment for me from being somebody who would have been lucky to read one book a year My private time was anything but study. And then around the age of 27, that all transitioned. And now wow. I'm avid of being a lifelong learner. I read two books a week. I haven't stopped studying since that time. So I still study right at the moment. I'm studying neuroscience. So I'm not sure what triggered it. <laughs> At that age, that was one of the most pivotal moments in my whole career that really led me on this journey now. So that, that was, gosh, that was, so Shanghai is very much my home. Although we are <clears throat> constantly talking about where else we might move to next, whether it's back to Australia, whether it's to Europe, who knows. Travel is something that will always be part of what I do. And my wife also enjoys it, which is fortunate. And, and my daughter seems to have the bug as well. So, so we're lucky in that. Nice. Yeah. Which languages do you speak? Oh, so that's a very sore point. I hope my wife is not listening <laughs> in the background. <laughs> so you, you <laughs> that I would be very fluent in many languages, having traveled so much. 
I am the worst linguist you will ever meet. So I speak English and not very well, and that's my only language. So my wife, on the other hand, speaks about five languages. My daughter already speaks three. And so it's it's part of the in-joke at home that let's go and talk to Dad because we know that <laughs> maybe he'll get the English part right. You are a coach now. What made you become a coach? Yeah, look, I don't know what made me become one, but I've been mentoring. So if we distinguish between mentoring and coaching a little bit, I've been mentoring for around about 30 plus years. To be honest, I struggled with the difference between being a mentor and a coach at the beginning. In my professional career, I was considered or am considered an expert in my field. And so from a mentoring perspective, that worked very, very comfortably. So I could give guidance, support, advise those that I mentored. Coming into coaching where it's coming from a different angle and, and very much helping your partner to find the answer was something that I struggled with, but also the people that came to me for coaching because they came with the premise that, hey, Wayne's the expert, I'll come to him for, for an answer. And so in my early phase of coaching, I struggled quite a lot to make that transition Today, I'm hopefully a little bit better at it, but if you ask some of the people I coached, <laughs> they may say, Wayne's a great coach mentor. <laughs> so, look, why, why did I move into coaching? As I mentioned, one of my values or my number one value is contribution. My second highest value is, is growth, so, and then my third is curiosity. <laughs> so it's sort of it's fulfilling the, the me if you like, by being able to work with other people, to yes. co-create with them, to partner with them, to sit beside them and watch them grow and develop through our conversations is so fulfilling. It's If you were to ask me my definition of success, I would simply say it's coaching. I'm right, totally so with you. And I also like that you were explaining the difference between mentoring and coaching because I also get those questions again and again. So I think that was important as well. Who are your typical clients? Typically executives. So the the area that I focus on are, um, for want of a better name, called talents, only because that's what organizations refer to this group as. So whether they're junior leaders, senior leaders, if they've been nominated as a talent in their organization, they're the people that I tend to work the most with. Today, we want to focus on senior leaders that are or seem stuck in the 20th century and mm. really talk about what does it take to get to the 21st century. And I suggest we get started with a leader that is stuck in the 20th century. So I would like to play a stereotype game with you. Sure. When you think of... <laughs> When you think about a leader who is still in the 20th century mindset, what adjectives come to mind? Uncertain, anxious is a expression or a group of leaders that fall very much into this 20th century group called the dark triad. I'm not sure if you've heard of them, but in psychology, this is three different types of leaders. So we have the narcissist, the psychopath and the Machiavellian leader. And they really represent the old school of leadership. 
they probably grew up in a very hierarchical organisation, command and control, I'm the boss, do as I say, this type of environment. And unfortunately, there's still a large group of leaders living that, that persona, as sad as that is. I'm very hopeful, though, <laughs> that there will be a transition at some point because I, I can see the millennial and Gen Z really reshaping it's not only leadership but reshaping business. And you mentioned uncertain, anxious, dark trait. It's all very negative. Is there also a positive trait that's coming to mind? Yeah, thank, thank you for picking me up on that. That's, that's very true. So we're all negative connotations. I would say hardworking, in many cases, genuine. The thing that they're not, for the most part, is vulnerable. They don't know how to make this transition. And, and that's why they are so stuck. I was thinking about Jack Welch because he's been mm. like a CEO of that time and he's been like famous. And now we would say, ah, his style is actually not that good. In, in today's world, his style is not that good. There, there's one area in particular that we can point that Jack Welch really, and his team, I shouldn't just pinpoint Jack Welch, of course, yes. but, <laughs> but the GC group brought to the world and that was performance management and performance appraisal of levels where the bottom 10% were shifted out. Now, that approach in today's world is still practiced, by the way, by a large number of companies, but less tolerated by the younger generation. Just one example. As you said, just because they were 20th century doesn't mean that they weren't successful and they weren't good at what they did. Right, And that's one of the interesting aspects of the dark triad. The narcissist leader is often really a charismatic, charismatic person, charming person, and more often than not, very, very successful in what they do. <laughs> it's yes. just the legacy that's left behind and the damage that's left in their way it really doesn't work in today's world because today's world is so much more complex now and it's almost impossible to understand, well, it is impossible for any one person to have all the knowledge that they need in today's world to lead effectively. Yeah. And before we move to the leaders of today, there's two more words I want to throw in come to my mind when I was thinking, say, old leaders is mm. male and is white. That's yes. one of the good news looking at leaders today, that we have more diversity. Look, I, I'm with you 100%. Even having said that, the balance is still not there. Right? And we're still a long way to go. Yes. What I'm always cautious about is words. And DEI or DNI is, is a fantastic concept. But are we living it really? I'm not sure. For, for all the negative around 20th century leaders, they worked in that period. So they evolved out of a need as well. The issue for those leaders, those that are still 20th century leaders, is we're no longer in the 20th century. And the world has changed and continues to change at a rate that we haven't experienced before.
And it continues to accelerate. And I think this is part of the reason why 20th century leaders are so unsure, uncertain, anxious, scared, because it's all foreign territory to them. It's being driven by a technology that they struggle to get their head around. And it's bad enough that it's new technology, but the technology is changing so rapidly that it's just not their mindset. And so it's really a major challenge for many leaders, their mid-level, senior, even some of the younger leaders. Right? It's not bound to age. And the one thing you were already mentioning is the amount of knowledge and it's just sheer impossible to know it all. And I guess like this old leadership type wants to be assertive and have the answer. Being vulnerable is one trait they do not have. Exactly. So this is the biggest challenge. They grew up in an era of command and control. So they were given the title and overnight somebody painted a big S on their chest. S stood for <laughs> superhuman. And that's what they believed. They believed that now they are called a manager or a leader. They suddenly, out of nowhere, were gifted with all the answers for all the problems that they would encounter. <clears throat> now, I'm generalizing, of course, and I'm making it of sound Of course, how else? <laughs> but, but in general, that's, that's what happened. And the more senior they became, the more successful they became, they internally learned that I do it by myself rather than do it with support from others. It's no longer physically, humanly possible that one person can be confronted with all of the challenges of today and be able to come up with a solution. Yeah. And so <clears throat> today's leaders need to have that vulnerability and say, okay, I've got to let go of my ego. I have to accept that I don't have all those answers. Okay? What does vulnerability and, mean to you? It means being prepared to acknowledge that I have strengths, but I also have areas that I'm not strong in. I have weaknesses. Yeah? And accepting help from other people as a result. So therefore, when I look and work with many of the 20th century leaders today, that's one of the deep conversations that we have is around how can they let go of that past? How can they accept that they don't know everything? Yeah, and we often run a number of exercises to, to help them to realize that. Yeah, well, what's one of those exercises? We'll explore what it is that's holding them back. And invariably, it comes down to the ego and not only being able, but wanting to let go of that ego. And so what we try and do is <clears throat> help them to make that realization themselves that if they don't let go of it, then their career doesn't really progress further. You may paint a scenario and say, <clears throat> here's a, a use case. How would you deal with that? And 
they would approach it in their typical way. Maybe they'll try and be creative and they'll fumble around with it. And we say, okay, well, you know, we, we gave that use case to a, a 25-year-old and this was their response. Mm-hmm. And it, it just starts to open their eyes. This is not a quick transition, right? I, yeah. People I work with quite often, very senior in their role, and to let go of that whole career development and growth and belief system is not something that happens overnight. So you have to really start to prize it open so that they can start to see why we're suggesting what we're suggesting about moving into this 21st century requires a different approach. So, yeah, look, it's it's a hugely fascinating area, I have to say. That's one of the reasons I, I'm so interested in neuroscience because neuroscience really helps us to understand what might be happening within each of the, the different people we're working with. And you're mentioning neuroscience. What is the one thing that is say, surprised you now that you've been diving into that topic? One, one thing that, that is surprising is the degree of disagreement within ah. the neuroscience field. To give you one example, we, we've all spoken about emotions. For, let's say, the last 50-odd years, many of the psychologists from Maslow through to current day spoke about how how we as humans viewed our emotions and how our emotions were created. And there was a common thought early in the 80s that emotions were somehow embedded as part of our DNA and there was a universality to our emotions and we had a finite number of emotions and you could go anywhere in the world and you could say, how does this person look? And you would say, well, that person's angry or this person's afraid and this person's happy, all right? And the one I just explained was the popular belief for the last 30, 40 years and it's now been almost disregarded. So... That's probably the most striking thing that stands out for me is just how little we really know about how the brain operates. Just to add on to that, I just finished up the Brené Brown Atlas of the Heart book. Mm, And in the very end, she says all she knows is her own emotions, but she cannot read somebody else's. So to find out about that, she needs to ask that person. And that was also like this aha, just by looking at your face. I don't know if you are happy, excited, nervous, anxious. I don't know. Exactly. So it's it's really fascinating, I have to say. The one thing they do agree on, by the way, is that humans don't like uncertainty. So if you take that into context of our discussion, change today is a given, right? And so... If the one thing that we all agree on is that as a human, we don't like uncertainty, ergo, we're not going to like change in the majority of cases. Now, there's a caveat around that. As we grow, as we evolve, we're always changing. So the reality is that change is not what we are so frightened of. It's the uncertainty that's tied to that change. So when I'm not in control of the change I'm going through, I become fearful. I become anxious. 
And you can start to then help the leader to see other ways of approaching their new big initiatives. And that in itself, for me, is something that I get really excited about because it's almost like you can see the light bulb go on when when you can help the leader to make that realisation that they have to become better storytellers. They have to become better at understanding the team and the things that each individual in the team is motivated by, is inspired by, so that they can be able to prepare yourself to a much greater extent when you have this awareness than what we used to in the past. The one word I had scribbled down earlier, it was pressure, because it sounds like this old way of leadership style, knowing the answer, being the only one who has the answers, I do it on my own. And with all those changes these days, I felt so much pressure. I mean, it goes along with the feeling of anxiousness and fearfulness. So as a old style leader, letting go could also free up so much energy because I don't have to carry all this burden on my shoulders anymore. So I see this huge, huge upside to really work with others and get them on the team. Mm. Is that something you experience in your coaches when they have this light bulb moment and go into a new direction? Absolutely. This is the breakthrough moments. This is what we as a coach live for when we can see this mm -hmm. shift in mindset in their behavior. So typically when we look at change, we talk about, so what's the person's mindset? And then once they can realize how they're thinking about this, then they have a chance to change the emotional connection and the feeling to different things. And as a result, shift their behavior. So the pressure that they feel and the insecurity that they feel when they come into a change initiative often fuels the fire and it transfers into their behavior and they start using negative words. They start be even unaware their body language conveys this, this negative, angry environment because of this internal dialogue that's going on that has gone on over the years and continues to go on for them. Can somebody who is recognizing those old skills in themselves move into a new direction? What can they do now? They can get a coach. <laughs> that's a given. <laughs> that's, but it doesn't even have to be a coach. It, it can be a close colleague. It can, it can be somebody else. My one word of advice I say to all leaders is don't, try and do it yourself. Whether it is lead throughout your career, yes. whether it is make the transition from who you are today to who you want to be tomorrow, the recommendation is a minimum of two other eyes or two other people, so four sets, four eyes, as a minimum to help you discuss and realize the who you are at that moment versus who you want to be. Who should those two people be? So one could be a coach, but who else would it be worthwhile to ask? I would encourage them to find people that they feel comfortable with. However, the trap here is, 
as leaders, quite often we gravitate to those people that we believe will just say what we want them to say. So as a starting point, they have to choose people that they feel comfortable with in opening up. The second step is to ensure that those people understand the bigger picture that we're working towards. And them being nice, polite, endearing to the leader doesn't serve the leader in the future. So we have to make sure that they're aware of the game that we're playing here. So they understand the rules of the game as much as the leader understands. And we, we ask them to give honest, not guarded, not hard criticism about what they observe. And in this exercise, I already hear some vulnerability because by telling somebody I want to work on myself, improve myself, that's already admitting that I'm not perfect. Yes. And this is not the first step in the whole transition journey, right? So the first step is creating this awareness, demonstrating the need for this transition. Only once you get to that point are you then ready to say, okay, well, how would you make this change by yourself given where you are today? I'll have to learn by their mistakes. And it's, it's much better once they get over that insecurity to have others there with them Because quite often they will fall. Quite often this change opens Pandora's box, for want of a term, and yes. they realize that, hey, you know what, the way, the way I've been my whole career, wow, that was not good. And as a result, you need people around you that are going to be there that you can confide in whenever you need to. So we often set up a thing called the personal board of directors. So when we go into, into this exercise early in the piece, regardless of who you are and where you are in your career, it's never too early to have people around you that can act in advisory capacity or that can give you their perspective on the situation so that Even if you don't take their input, you still hear an alternative. And that's really the crux of why it's so important. We need to have multiple perspectives to be able to then make a decision and to be able to shift a lot of the emotion out of our decision. What I'm hearing is A, is a long journey. Like you need to be really committed to want to change because it will be hard, it will be painful. Mm. And I think the upside is that it will be worth it. And you will feel less weight and have more fun and potentially advance further. Absolutely. I mean, that's the aim for what we're doing as coaches. Yes. We, we hope that bringing this awareness, bringing this perception, bringing this transition to bear will produce that outcome. In my own experience, for those that are able to make that transition, that is their outcome. They feel so much more engaged, reinvigorated, if you like, in what they were doing because very often the people that we start working with, they're burnt out, they're anxious, they're isolated. So many people 
uh, in this state. And you just have to look at the surveys around the world today at how many people, not only in leadership, but in, in their private lives, are feeling this way, which is ironic, right? I mean, we've never been more socially connected through social media, and yet we've never been so isolated and disconnected. So it's not unique. It's a lonely journey. It's a lonely journey. As we come into the 21st century where it's even less likely, you can't go it alone. If you're a leader and you don't have your personal board of directors, you're setting yourself up for failure. And the good news are there are people like us that you don't have to do it alone. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, only a few more questions for you. Mm. What is coming up next for you? If you talk about our business, this year in 2023, we've set ourselves a really tall target. Each month we're releasing either a challenge or a program Effectively, we will have 12 different events, one a month. The one in March, we're releasing a program called Excel in the Essentials, and that's really targeting the emerging leader. So the young, I won't say inexperienced, but less experienced leaders and helping them to, giving them the alternative perspective that I've been talking about. So one of the challenges that I haven't, haven't mentioned is for young leaders today, they have an added challenge if they're working with a 20th century boss. Yes. Quite often that young leader will look to their boss or maybe a couple of levels above them as their mentor. When in reality, that boss is the one that's struggling to make the transition into the 21st century. And therefore, this young leader is learning 20th century habits. And that's the recipe for disaster. So Excel in the Essentials is really giving them that basis to say, okay, in the 21st century, these are the basics that you need as a leader. Nice. Some things that have transitioned from the 20th, it wasn't all bad, <laughs> but it's, it's more in the approach of the leader that we make sure that they have that grounding. So that's, that's coming in March. Perfect. And I'm happy to add all the information on our show notes. And a little bird told me that you have a new book coming out. Ah, <laughs> yeah. I'm a, a co-author. So it's not my own book, but mm. it's a book with a cohort of coaches. And the book is called Transform Your Life. It's actually a sequel. It's coming out in, I believe it will be in, in March. Worst case should be April. Nice. Two more questions. Who else should I have on the show? If like <clears throat> the topic of leadership and the topic around neuroscience and somebody that's really on top of both topics, and she's also a poet. Her name is Anne Betts. I'll give you her details. Anne is really one of the pioneers in making the connection between neuroscience and leadership. Mm -hmm. She's a really fascinating person to speak with. She's been doing it for about 20 years now. Anne, previously involved in coaching and leadership, 
And when neuroscience came knocking on her doorstep, she would have got into it. So she would be somebody I would really, really Perfect. recommend, I think would be a great, a great guest to have. Thank you. And for people who want to work with you, be in touch with you, how can they do that? The quickest way, the easiest way is through LinkedIn. So if people search Wayne Brown, there's incredible number of Wayne Browns in the world. <laughs> if, if you ever look up on academia, you'll find that there's something like three and a half thousand papers with Wayne Brown's wow. name on. So let me just clarify, that's not this Wayne Brown. So my distinguishing approach on LinkedIn, search Wayne Brown, but when you find the Wayne Browns, the suffix on the end is the coach. So we'll add it to the show notes just yeah. that we have that for sure. Yeah. So that's the best way. You can go to our website, which is coachingforcompanies.com. Four is the number four, not F-O-R. Or you can email me, wayne at coachingforcompanies.com. And I'll, I'll be happy to, happy to respond. Perfect. Hmm. I found our conversation so, so interesting. And I learned a lot about the old leadership style and how to transition to the new style. So I'd like to thank you for joining me today. Anna, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Wonderful podcast that you have, by the way. I, I think it's so relevant for all leaders, but not only for leaders. So, yeah, excellent. Yes. Really appreciated being on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I learned a lot today about leaders that find themselves stuck in the 20th century. And I actually feel a tiny little bit sorry for them because trying to do everything yourself, having all the answers, is sounds so difficult. And there is a better way. I hope very much that Wayne and I, we got the point across. And as always, if you enjoy the content of this show, please hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast. This way, you will get the next episode in your inbox when it drops on Tuesday. It also would mean the world to me if you could tell one more friend about the show and help me spread the word. Thank you. With that, we are one step closer to reaching your goals. Talk to you guys next time. Bye.